start the week with Tim and Damo on the Unmade Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Damien Francis. And I'm Tim Burrows. Today, how the TV networks have abandoned kids' content. Why Woolworths is Australia's most trusted brand. And can magazine's biggest player make the e-commerce pivot? Unmade. All right, Tim, how are you? Good weekend? Mate, not a bad weekend. Uh, Spent a couple of days in Sydney, then um, headed back to Tasmania via the bright lights of Launceston. So a uh, a big night out in, in, in Launceston after quite a pleasant couple of days in Sydney, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, of course, uh, attended the Mumbrella Publish Awards on, on Thursday night. Now, dare I ask, Tim, has, uh, has the hangover worn off now? Is the head feeling okay? <laughs> yeah, look, we were, we were very fortunate with Unmade to be recognised in a couple of categories of the Publish Awards. So um, we picked up uh, Launch of the Year, which was the one I had really been hoping for but hadn't been expecting to win because there were half a dozen great people on that on 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 that shortlist and I was lucky enough to get columnist of the year and it I must admit it was strange um being back at those awards because the 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 publisher awards although organized by Mumbrella now have got a long history so they were back in the day publisher Publish Australia's um, started life as the Bell Awards and then became the Excellence Awards. And then when, you know, we used to enter them when I worked at Mumbrella until we ended up organising them ourselves and we had to stop entering. So it was kind of strange being back at an entrant table again. I'll tell you what, I found that really good to be back, uh, but not having to organise the event and and sit on every single word that uh, the MC says, just in case something goes wrong. It was lovely and refreshing to only be invested in a couple of those um, categories. But uh, now I'm going. I'm going to be a, a bit of a, a play nerd, and I'll tell you what: the, our friends over at Fear and Greed will be able to uh, to jump on board this one. Now, you said you had gone into to Launceston, the bright lights. I'm not sure about that, but anyway, so you would have been on a slightly bigger plane, which would have been good because. As I recall, getting to to Bernie in Tassie, where you do, is a, is a tiny little turboprop Qantas, a, a Dash 8 Q300, if I'm not mistaken. And I'll tell you what, the size of those publish awards um, it wouldn't necessarily have been a great thing for such a small plane. How did you get it to <laughs> Tasmania, Tim? Both of them. Uh-huh. Uh, look, um, yes. Yeah, so, firstly, yes, that is a very, very nerdy question. But to 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 answer it, yes, the second leg, the uh, Melbourne to Launceston leg, was on a seven one seven. So the the little mini jet. But these trophies are chunky. So back in the day, I did have a small hand in uh, the their their creation. I wasn't the uh, the person who led the project. That was the person who led our marketing at the time, Danica Porter. But I remember my one and only contribution was to suggest, you know, we want something a bit substantial. You know, if you if you hit a burglar, they'd need to stay down. Um, now, of course, I wasn't really thinking through that many years later, I'd need to take a couple through security. Um, and I must have, I actually wasn't confident they would get through in my hand luggage, but given Qantas's current reputation for losing stuff, I really didn't want to risk uh, checking it in. So I was traveling with somebody else and I went through first 
with these giant metal chunky trophies in my uh, backpack and then the other person who was checking something and just waited to check I got through okay and fortunately I did so they they let me on the plane with these big chunks of uh, metal but I guess we should uh, stop talking about um, our uh, celebration from last week taking and- down burglars with large wards <laughs> <laughs> exactly let's and move on <laughs> let's get into it where should we start this week Well, why don't we start with some Roy Morgan research, Tim, which you covered in Best of the Week because uh, they've announced their quarterly data on trust uh, and distrust in brands. And uh, there's been some pretty interesting uh, movements and also lack of movements in the list. Why don't we take a look at the most trusted brands uh, first? Now, this is for the, the June 2022 quarter. Uh, and I'll go through the top five, but uh, they are number one, Woolworths, number two, Coles, and then Bunnings, Aldi, and Kmart. So a lot of supermarket representation there. But Tim, what were your outtakes from from that list? Yeah, isn't it interesting that retail does so well in trusted brands? And you sort of understand, I guess, having you know gone through the pandemic where suddenly things like Woolworths, Coles, and as you say, Aldi as well, um, become such an essential part of people's lives. You understand that. Um, uh, so, so yeah, re- re- retail makes sense. Um, and then we just nudge out to number six. And this was, this was one of the reasons why I, I was interested in writing about this in Best of the Week in, in the first place anyway, was I really wanted to see how Qantas would go. Because of course, we've, you know, talked about so much as the rest of the world has about Qantas's reputational challenges with lost luggage, delayed flights, higher prices, long waiting times, etc. So we'd seen the, you know, the various apologies from Qantas management. Um, so I'd, I'd sort of actually been anticipating seeing a big fall in trust. But in fact, what, um, what the data from, uh, Roy Morgan research showed was, in fact, Qantas is still the sixth most trusted brand, which hasn't moved on the previous quarter. However, what the managing director of Roy Morgan, Michelle Levine, did reveal when she kind of did the announcement of the brands was that, in fact, although its relative position hasn't changed, it actually has seen a big percentage drop in its net trust score so it was just a bit lucky that other brands happened to you know fall away as well otherwise we would have seen a a Qantas fall there so um you know not not as bad as you might expect but it does sound like there there are more reputational issues in the post yeah one of the interesting uh, entries for me was uh West Farmers who uh, are new to the top 20 in 20th uh, position um now that probably isn't a, a brand that most consumers would necessarily be aware of. Tim, what's driving that? Yeah, that was something that Michelle Levine again um, touched on in the sort of video presentation of this. Uh, the the you know sort of parent group or aligned group to various brands, including yeah, Coles in second, Kmart in fifth, 
target in 14th. Um, so the sort of um, halo effect of those brands has lifted West Farmers as well. Um, interestingly, you know, target has begun to fall a bit, but I guess that's not too surprising when you kind of think about it because uh, these days it's, 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 it's gradually leaving the the physical market you know the target stores are becoming kmarts and becoming a kind of digital brand so just less profile within the market but yeah interesting seeing a you know a, a parent brand i suppose it's a bit like you know i suppose on some level the public are aware of things like png and unilever even if they think of uh, they don't think of them first when they think of their products you know, interesting, you mentioned, obviously, COVID and, and the effect on supermarkets. I was interested in, in the, the automotive sector and seeing that uh, Toyota, often known as uh, very consumer-friendly, very reliable, good value for money, big standing in, in Australian uh, uh, automotive history, that they've dropped down uh, one to ninth. Uh, the NRMA remained equal in, in 12th, so... Uh, just, I guess for me, surprising to to see such a, a well known and respected brand as Toyota drop down in a in an environment where we've seen many more sales of motor vehicles, uh, both new and used. But I guess it goes towards Qantas as well in terms of they've they've maintained that sixth position ahead of big brands like Apple, uh, Toyota, and RMA Australia Post. Yeah, and probably just one thing to bear in mind about that is it might be that. Toyota actually hasn't done anything too badly wrong in that it it fell a place as did Maya so Maya dropped one to eighth Toyota dropped one to ninth and Apple skipped up two so it might just be that uh the kind of added credit Apple is getting around consumer privacy protection for instance has actually just seen it gain in trust rather than necessarily Toyota lose directly yeah, good point. Now, let's move on to the the distrust list, which is always very interesting. The top five in that list, and there's a theme here, unfortunately. Uh, number one, Meta. Two, Telstra. Three, Amazon, followed by News Corp and Google. That theme, of course, is they all play in or around the media space. Uh, Tim, that's uh, not a great thing, is it? All media or media aligned, as you say, uh, Telstra, you know, uh, an, an owner of Foxtel, an owner of um, uh, Fetch Catch-Up uh, Television as well. Amazon obviously owns Amazon Prime Streaming. So, yeah, as a, as a sector, there's never been a worse time for trust in the media or more to the point, never been a worse time for distrust in the media with those um, top five. And, uh, you know, a point that Michelle Levin made in the um, presentation was that the whole sector is being dragged down by just how much the public distrusts Facebook. You know, some interesting other entries in here as well. You'd probably expect uh, the big uh, gas and oil companies like Shell and BP uh, are in there. But uh, I was surprised by the placement of Optus uh, in 13, which has uh, gained five spots. Now, it's a bit of a, a reversal here. You don't want to gain spots in, in the distrust uh, rankings. You'd rather fall down. Uh, so Optus in in thirteenth up five. Uh, that was an interesting one. Harvey Norman remained level, uh, but it, it, at sixth position. Tim, any surprises there for you? 
Yeah. Um, look, one, uh, yeah, two things. Firstly, I can't really explain the, the, the why Optus has moved up in most distrusted brands because I, I can't really think what it's done too badly wrong in the last quarter. Um, Harvey Norman, um, as you say, is sixth, which it, you know, not long ago it was 17th. Um, now they had an awful lot of bad publicity around JobKeeper where they claimed $22 million worth of JobKeeper money, as was their legal right, despite the fact that um, they actually had record profits. So it wasn't necessarily needed to keep the lights on. Um, as Michelle Levine said on the uh, on, on uh, her description, uh, an extraordinary decline. And it strikes me that probably more than $22 million worth of goodwill lost in terms of brand value. So maybe it wasn't such a smart move after all. And an honourable mention to Twitter in, in 17th, who has actually dropped uh, two positions despite everything that's uh, going on between itself and, and Elon Musk. Coming up next... TV, we're going to talk about kids' quotas, subscription prices, sport, Netflix, AFL, and weekly ratings. Unmade. Tim, there's a lot to talk about in TV this week. Why don't we start with kids' quotas? Because there's a story in The Australian by Sam King uh, discussing the fact that the, the quotas on commercial TV uh, we're seeing a lot less new kids TV and the streaming services are sort of taking up that opportunity there. Yeah. And I must admit, I kind of feel like I'm, you know, howling into the void a little bit on this one. So back in 2020, um, the TV networks successfully lobbied to reduce their obligations around um, providing uh, children's television programming. Um, Now, their argument being, you know, it was, there's a demand on that that isn't commercially sustainable, that isn't expected of other media organisations or streaming players, etc. But, you know, what has always struck me is that owning a TV licence, having the right to use the public airwaves, is an incredibly powerful, valuable business tool. And there is an argument that it should come with some responsibilities to uh, the the greater public good, which that particular argument around um, children's programming has certainly fallen away. And any arguments that, uh, hey, even if the quotas weren't there, the content would still be provided have now certainly been undermined. So, um, in, in this piece in the Australian this morning, um, nine in 2021, 47 hours of new Australian children's TV, 10, 40 hours, seven, just six and a half. So, you know, uh, parents now, if, 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 if they want, um, uh, to show, show their children television, then they're going to have to go towards streaming. Yeah, and look, the uh, Australian Children's Television uh, Foundation's latest annual report showed the 10 most popular children's channels in the past year were exclusively on streaming services. Now, I guess that's not uh, not hugely surprising in terms of when you look at how COVID's changed the, the situation 
you know, kids are coming home and moving around a lot uh, differently to what they were, those fixed times on commercial TV of children's programming and a little bit uh, a little bit harder to get kids in front of a TV then. And as a parent, I've got to admit that uh, not having the, the big toy commercials sitting next to those uh, programs is, is somewhat comforting for me, not that I, uh, not that I'm against advertising clearly because we work very tightly in this space. Um, well, look, uh, I suppose one thing as parents is, is there are new perils when it comes to streaming. Uh, somebody tweeted me a couple of days back, actually, I must have, I've not looked into it properly yet. Oliver Palmer um, tagged me in a tweet to Channel 10. Um, he uh, wandered into the room to find, I presume, one of his children uh, streaming on Ten Play, a children's program. And uh, one of the uh, advertising innovations from Ten Play is that when you pause the screen, a, a full page ad or mostly full page ad can come up. And uh, this screenshot, which he he shared on Twitter, was for the Kraken black spiced <laughs> rum. So I'm I'm. I presume that was a technical error because I'm I'm guessing that would probably breach ad standards rules. And if it doesn't, then it does suggest that there's something of a loophole existing. Yeah, that would be interesting if you, your kid suddenly came up to you and asked for some Kraken. I'm, I'm hoping that uh, was a, a technical glitch. We should probably move on. Uh, anti-siphoning has again hit the headlines, uh, this time in a story in the SMH and the Age by Zoe Samios. Uh, now, it's from a report from Deloitte. There's a little bit more to it than that, but the, the report suggesting that Australian households aren't necessarily uh, willing to pay for the variety of subscription services they need to get a, a good amount uh, of sport or a wider amount of, of sport. Uh, Tim, can you give us a few, me- a few more details? Hey, look, one of the things to be super cautious of with these sort of things is, as you say, it's a report from Deloitte Access Economics, but it's not as if Deloitte just thought to themselves, hey, let's do this report. <laughs> they they were commissioned by Free TV, which is the very, very effective lobby group for the TV networks or the commercial TV networks. So um, the, the networks will use this report in their current lobbying around changing the anti-siphoning laws, which um, which which aren't aren't fit for purpose because they were created in a in a time before streaming, but equally a very very useful commercial tool for the TV networks in that they drive down the cost of sport to the TV networks because uh, things which are contained on the anti-siphoning list can't certainly at the first call uh, go directly to you know pay TV whether it's Foxtel or um, in in the future if the law changes the uh, new streaming players um, so they're <sighs> What's my problem with this? Um, I think it's this. There's a lot of lobbying, very well done, and sometimes the public interest happens to align with the interests of those doing the lobbying, Um, but not automatically. Uh, And it does feel like there's a real risk in this sort of policymaking that the people who lobby can afford to commission big reports tend to get their way. Um, 
And then, of course, what tends to happen is you you you'll, you'll sometimes see free TV actually get the rights to sports, and then the public not get access to them because they you know they they haven't chosen to air them. So it's going to be very uh, very intriguing watching how this law develops and just how much the TV networks do get their way. Now, if you look at it, though, if you want a vast amount of sports, you, you're going to have to look at Stan Sport, at KO, uh, Paramount, uh, Amazon Prime. There's a, a lot of areas now, a lot of streaming platforms that are offering various sports. Uh, but, Tim, is this uh, perhaps an opportunistic time for free TV to be asking that question of costs when we're in the middle of a a cost of living crisis that doesn't seem like it's going to be getting any better anytime soon? Well, look, it's certainly a more powerful argument. I mean, the reason the arguments are being made now is um, the, 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 well, go, going back a step or two. Firstly, Paul Fletcher, the communications minister, put off a proper review and decision of the anti-siphoning laws, dumped it till after the election, just kind of renewed the anti-siphoning list of the protected sports or sporting events. Um, And obviously it's ended up being not his problem because he's no longer in power. So the reason the conversation's happening now now is because the anti-siphoning laws are being reviewed, which of course are going to be all the more relevant with um, AFL rights currently in battle as well. So I... I, you know, I think that's the reason for the timing. But of course, if you're going to make the argument, this is a time to make the very powerful argument about um, the cost of subscribing when people are going through a cost of living crisis. Speaking about the cost of subscribing, we'll move on to the next uh, point on TV, which is Netflix. Uh, again, Zoe Samios in the SMH and The Age putting out a story about the fact that Netflix uh, Netflix ads will be coming to Australia this year and suggesting that the the price of the base plan with ads will actually drop and go to $8 rather than being the, the standard price at the moment with everything else bumping up. Uh, Tim, interesting. What do you think about that? I mean, firstly, that, that surprised me slightly because I'd sort of been assumed they would just hold the entry level price at the time and then use it as a reason to put everything else up, you know, with the entry level price held as being the cost of seeing ads. I suspect one of the issues Netflix is dealing with in Australia and around the world is when it offers ad supported content, it doesn't automatically have the rights to all of that content. So for instance, it's something James Warburton from Seven has talked about, you know, because Seven, Nine, Ten, they all have their own ad supported streaming plays and often have those rights, um, even if Netflix might own the 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 the, the behind the paywall rights. So that that will be one to kind of play out. So I, I suspect that might be the reason why the price price is going to drop because, you know, the, the, the product just won't be as comprehensive. Now, uh, speaking of uh, Seven and James Warburton, guess what we're going to talk about now? It's the AFL again on Start the Week. Who would have thought it? Because... Uh, this morning, the AFR, the SMH and Age and the Australian have all done their bit to uh, suggest that a decision is imminent. Uh, the AFR and the Australian suggesting that it is Seven and Foxtel who have won this one. 
the Sydney Morning Herald and the Age taking a slightly different tack, still suggesting that that they're in the lead, but there's some last minute conversations happening today. Tim, are we ever going to stop talking about the AFL? <laughs> it, 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 hey. As we said last week, time is still linear. We are (laughs) still a step closer to the AFL rights being resolved. Um, uh, Look, the the confidence level of the reporting that broadly the status quo is going to remain with seven and Foxtel as the 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 main two rights holders. That 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 certainly seems to be growing with the suggestion that 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 the some of the games might shift around a bit. Um there is some suggestion in uh in 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 some of the coverage that we might just see one more round of best and final offers today that could just see nine or paramount snatch something but that certainly looks like the outside chance at the moment i wonder if that could just see us talking about it again for one more week <laughs> but- oh please if we talk about it next week let, let it be in the past tense <laughs> Well, let's talk about this in the past tense. Weekly ratings, Tim, the the graphs over the weekend, uh, some very interesting stats, and again, kind of around the AFL, but from a different uh, perspective. What did you notice? Yeah, one of the reasons why AFL is worth paying hundreds of millions of dollars a year for is it rates really effectively, uh, particularly away from the East Coast states. So if you look at um, primary channel share across last week, then nine won the first half of the week, thanks to the block. And then um, thanks to AFL, uh, nine, it was seven that absolutely stormed it in the second half of the week. So, you know, some really big shares, you know, by by uh, Saturday, Seven was having a primary channel share of 48.9%. That was in 2554, um, the age demographic. Um, and that's kind of pretty spectacular when you think that's across the five metro capitals, not all of them being uh, in any way AFL states. So we saw again in 2554, we, we actually saw even in the five city metro, you know, the, the, top programs of the week uh at number eight was friday night football um for the finals and then um number nine was the thursday night football so that's why afl is so valuable coming up next our media's pivot to e-commerce unmade so, Tim, we mentioned the Publish Awards last week at the beginning of the podcast. One thing we didn't mention was the day before that was the Publish Conference, where a number of the people in the publishing industry came together to talk about the the opportunities and challenges uh, of today's publishing industry. Now, one of the interesting people to take the stage was our media CEO, Jane Huxley. And I, I say interesting because we haven't really heard too much from her since taking that post. It was a very, very quiet first six months. And slowly after that, she started to to do a few more uh, interviews. But um, she was talking on stage uh, at the conference uh, about uh, e-commerce, particularly in terms of the acquisition of hard to find. Uh, Tim, 
is e-commerce the the sort of new savior of of the magazine publishing industry look it's something that's been talked about for a while now certainly in other parts of the world um and actually just to to pick up on your your previous point yeah look you know thank 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 goodness our media are beginning to come out and speak a bit more now um you know my you know, one of my criticisms of the magazine industry generally over even the last decade was it was particularly poor at marketing itself to um, the advertising community, you know, certainly compared to, to other media. You know, as a result, it, you know, media agencies, particularly, you know, younger people in media agencies almost forgot that the print medium existed when it came to magazines. So, um so you know the 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 opportunity of our media effectively becoming the you know the last one standing of the big end of town you know having this was you know created out of the merger of bauer media and uh, pacific magazines um you know leaves it to be the, the the voice of magazines and the frustration for me is i suspect they're doing clever things but you know perhaps partly as a result of being owned by um, private equity in uh, Mercury Capital. Um, it's not an organisation that is actually that keen to come out and speak. Um, so often that sort of narrative of decline goes unchallenged. Uh, you know, we saw the Standard Media Index numbers come out again last week, and um, you know, for months and years they've just shown um month on month year on year decline of advertising revenue certainly media agency advertising revenue for magazines those actually stabilized a little bit so yeah i'd 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 like to um you know i'd 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 like to think there's a future for these mastheads even if it's not you know just as as print brands but but you know that's a world you've played in what do you think yeah look interesting that you mention magazines not doing very well in in sort of publicizing themselves because I, I completely agree with that one of the examples that i wanted to to bring up was uh, one of the businesses i used to work for more than 10 years ago future publishing which opened up an australian uh, office it's a uk based uh, rather large publisher uh, and that office uh, is is now run or has been run for the past 10 or more years by um, neville daniels now i would argue that future publishing particularly the australian arm uh, has been one of the prime movers into the e-commerce space. They've done some very, very interesting and successful things, uh, not least the acquisition recently of uh, Mozo uh, as well as GetPrice. Now, for a magazine publisher, uh, those two things were very different spaces uh, to play in. Now, uh, I- I've joked with Nev previously that um, his past a- as an accountant uh, maybe means that uh, getting into the e-commerce space is a little bit easier for him, but he's obviously got to convince uh, future publishing and and the high ups there that this is a good thing to do and and what will turn them into a successful thing. But uh, you know they've significantly scaled. Uh, they're by all accounts rather successful at the moment. But the one thing uh, that we haven't seen is massive headlines in any of the trade media uh, about what future publishing is doing and to be fair to the trade media i don't really think that's their fault there's not a lot of of talk uh, in the industry there so i'm just not sure what gets it going 
look, I guess one of the things is it, talking about things like lead generating content um, is um, is not very sexy, is it? No. But you know, it's it's, it's those sort of things where you might um, you know rank tech products and of course provide then links through to that. Uh, you know, to, to, to the recommended products or whatever, whatever it is, where the publisher clips the ticket. Those are the sort of things which aren't very sexy, but where Future's making its money. You know, I remember reading that Future in the US was doing something like 70% of uh of its revenue um out of e-commerce so um you know it's 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 a really relevant thing um so yeah you know it certainly um seems to make sense as a strategy for our media even if um i'm not sure where that leaves the existing print products yeah really good question but hey i'm not entirely sure programmatic was something sexy to talk about but it's uh it's big and it's in the industry so perhaps we should be talking uh, about it a bit more all right, that's all from us today. We would love to hear what you think at letters at unmade.media. That's letters at unmade.media. I'll be back tomorrow with Tuesdata. First week of the month, as usual, we'll be tackling the top spenders in TV thanks to data from Canda. Don't forget, if you want to support Unmade, you can become a paying member. Go to unmade.media to find out how. Today's podcast was produced with the usual enthusiastic support of Abe's Audio. See you next time. Toodle pain. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.